0: Are you passionate about making a difference through design join us at the human center design networks circle a new private community for change makers just like you connect with like-minded professionals gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities and lead the change in human centered design for more information see this is hcd.com now let's get back into that episode
1: Hi, and welcome to Ethnopod on This Is HCD. My name is John Curran, and I'm your guest host. I'm a business anthropologist, executive coach, and CEO of JC Associates, which is a consultancy that explores how culture shapes organizations and consumer behavior. For this first episode, I spoke to Dr. Joanne Bichard, who is a design anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Helen Hamlin Center for Design at the Royal College of Art in London joanne describes more about the center's role in exclusive design later on on the pod we also had a fascinating chat about the role that design anthropology plays and joanne walked through the three key areas of where anthropology connects with design both in relation to what anthropology gives design but also what anthropology can learn from design and here joanne makes it clear she is not a designer which i think is a really important point Joanne then shares with me her research she did on public toilets and her holistic approach to understanding the different layers of meaning in this area. So from product design to service design to placemaking and to the cultural drivers that shape this area. What was so powerful about this is that the project has grown from being a PhD thesis to Joanne setting up a consultancy with her design partner, which provides research and strategy on public toilets to local governments, architects and brands. Oh yes, and they've created the Great British Public Toilet Map, which is the largest database of all public toilets in the UK. We'll put links up on the website after the podcast and also links to other books and talks of Joanne references. But let's get into the conversation with Joanne. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome Joanne to Ethnopod on This Is HCD.
0: Many thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Fine. We're kind of in South London in Crystal Palace. and, And I find out that you were born only about a mile away from here.
0: That's true. Yeah. I'm in my home territory or my birth territory.
1: Fantastic. So listen, Joanne, why don't we just start off with you telling us? a bit about yourself.
0: Well, I am a social anthropologist. And when I first started working within design, as I currently do, there wasn't an area called design anthropology as such. We were just sort of social anthropologists working with designers. I've been in the field for about 16 years now. And in that time, it's sort of come up as its own sub-discipline, so to speak, um, which is absolutely fascinating for me as somebody who's actually immersed well and truly, within the design world. Whenever I introduce myself, I always have to say I'm not a designer because I do work with a lot of designers. Same here. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes people sort of automatically assume that you are and you've crossed over into anthropology, which which is great, but I actually come from the sort of theoretical, anthropological perspective in the first place. So anyway, I started, uh, I left... Um, College Goldsmiths where I did my undergrad started actually as a researcher looking at brain imaging and got an experience there working with people with disabilities and then from there went to UCL to work on a project with architects looking at certain aspects of city design namely public toilets and that was at the Bartlett School of Graduate Studies
1: okay so you're an anthropologist doing your phd there in the world of architecture yes okay
0: yes and so my phd was you know on architecture rather than in architecture at the bartlett and from the bartlett i then moved on to the royal college of art the helen hamlin center for design and worked uh, have been working there ever since looking at aspects of human-centred design and how designers might interact with their users, their participants, their co-creators, however the designers want to frame them in various inclusive processes.
1: So the Helen Hamlin Centre then at the Royal College of Art, that's all about inclusive design? Yes,
0: that's what we focus on. In the UK, we know it as inclusive design. In the US, it's known as universal design. In Europe, it might be participatory, co-creation. You know, there's lots of different labels, but our basic format is that we bring people in the users the humans into the design process and that can be quite a wild group of users. So at the Helen Hamlin Centre, we have three research spaces where we work in healthcare, where we actually work with the doctors and the nurses and the practitioners of healthcare on how we might develop and design better healthcare services, products for them to use. We also have an age and diversity group that work with older people and people with disabilities, disabled people. So they that tends to be a smaller sort of research group more 1 to 1 maybe 1 to 5 and then we have a social global research group that works with communities on the community scale so we're there we're working with larger groups so in a sort of an old fashioned anthropological term in some ways or sociological term we work at a micro meso, macro level
1: i love that micro miso macro level yeah the three m's right the three m's That's, let's go quickly back what you said about 16 years ago when you were working as a social anthropologist in the world of design i think you said ucl and stuff and yeah. there wasn't really this term design anthropology no. when did this or not from a historical point of view but when did design anthropology become a
0: thing I find that quite hard to pinpoint. I know, I was actually discussing this with a colleague the other day that it sort of emerged, design and anthropology sort of came together through IDO in the late 90s. The innovation agency, yeah. Yeah. But that was a commercial endeavour. Anthropologists were being brought in to try and understand the users, the humans, the people that the designers are designing for. And it hadn't really morphed in back into academia. There was a text produced by Rabenau in, I think, the 90s as well that argued that whilst the designers were taking influence from anthropology, the anthropology department should take some influence from the designers, almost okay. a knowledge transfer or knowledge exchange sort of thing. And I found that text really, really influential for me. And I ended up writing a chapter on a book, Design Anthropology, that sort of referenced how anthropology could do with them um, a sort of a redesign, so to speak, or think more designally about its own discipline and practice. So
1: that's anthropology learning from design. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think that's now developed further. It's become more academic now. UCL have a almost a design anthropology MA. So design that's culture. U- University College London. Yes, yeah. They have a design anthropology MA. I believe Aberdeen have a design anthropology program as well. And I know the Scandinavian countries have really embraced it. They it's, really are, yeah. 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 They really do have some excellent programs there. And they are producing a lot of the theoretical work as well, which is really exciting.
1: Okay, so would you classify yourself still as a social anthropologist or as a design anthropologist? Or is there really much difference there? Are we saying the same thing?
0: I tend to step between the two camps sometimes. When I introduce myself to students, I call myself a social anthropologist. I think when I'm more working in the professional level, I'm a design anthropologist. Okay. I think that makes more sense to those particular audiences. I think you have to position yourself sometimes to how how your audience expects you to be. I think if I went in there as a design anthropologist to the students, they might have a different expectation to the kind of approach that I particularly have. I have had students come up to me and introduce themselves as design anthropologists, which I've, I find really interesting, right, okay. because there is a whole generation who are immediately identifying with the particular sub-genre, whereas I suppose because I come from social anthropology in the first place, I, there's a, a tendency to support that particular home team, so to speak.
1: I remember a few years ago when I was doing some work for the Design Council in, in the UK, they kind of said, well, I'm an anthropologist, so therefore I, I am a designer. Mm. You know, I kind of, you know, naturally fall into that design world. And I, I took that as a great compliment. Mm. And I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, how would you define or, or kind of frame what design anthropology is?
0: Well, I really, really like Gunn and Donovan's perspectives of design anthropology. They call it da 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 tell us
1: more about that that sounds enlightening
0: well da 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 so it's uh, d-a-d-a-d-a and there's certain emphases on the d and the a that sort of position the role so you start with a large d and a small a capital d small a
1: so it's the d for design a for anthropology yes
0: okay and the large d is when a designer design consultancy might hire the anthropology to do some work for them do some ethnographic study do some participatory study and then the anthropologist feeds back into the design it's sort of the anthropology is sort of secondary sort of giving flavor to the design but it's not necessarily the chief thing so that's big d little a capital d little a and then there's a small d little d capital a the second DA, where anthropology studies design, where the designers of the tribe that we right. we interact with, we study them, we're interested in their culture. We like doing that, don't we? We do, we do. We study their culture. We study how they interact, how they approach their particular areas of investigation. And then there's the final DA, capital D, capital A, where design... And anthropology come together often in a creative way, and they have equal measure in the process and equal weighting within the process. And I like to think that, in my experience of you know sixteen years of working, that I've actually been through all of the various dars, dars, and dars. Yeah, and that there's not a weighting to them. I think in some ways you have to go through the beginning dar to come to the end dar in like some that. ways a, yeah. it's a process that resonates
1: with me actually mm.
0: yeah so in my particular research in toilets where initially i was the anthropologist hired by the architects to study the research theme of toilets i was capital d little a and then gradually as my career progressed and i became to understand how design works they became my tribe so it was capital A, little d. And, but taking the research that I've undertaken for most of my career, we've now come up with creative solutions to our research area. And that is definitely a joint partnership between the designer and the anthropologist. So we've got the capital D, the capital A.
1: Okay, I think we should get kind of t-shirts made with the da da da.
0: I think so. Yeah, I <laughs> we could, like we could, that. We
1: could walk around in the weekends and pubs and stuff, yeah. and people go, well, "What the, the? You know, what does that mean?" You know, and I
0: and I think it should also be a little bit like the chemistry table. I can't. Yeah, remember. yeah. The, one, one, of, one of those. Yeah, it what? should be look like that. You know, um, as we sort of plot out the chemistry, the chemistry of design anthropology. Well, what, one ways. of one
1: of the things about the last da, the capital D and the capital A it's got that feeling of equality it's egalitarian it's mm. the same weight i guess with us anthropologists there's always this thing about where we tend to stand on the outside and look in yeah how does that collaboration work then
0: i don't think you can ever stop standing on the outside looking in and i think the designers the designer i work with appreciates that okay because they have an approach they have a way of seeing and at you know, we're talking about ways of seeing in some ways. They have a way of seeing that I appreciate, that I come to know. I don't think you can come into a relationship that's the final dar mm-hmm. fresh. I think it takes some time. You've got to understand. You, you've got to go through the where you're studying the design, yeah. so to speak, to actually get there to realize that you're on a, a relationship of parity. And that takes an equity. That takes a while to do. I don't think you could go straight in there and do that. Because as humans, we're always vying for our position in Mm -hmm. some ways. You've got a design team. In my experience, the experience that I've had, it's just myself as the anthropologist with one other designer but if you get into a team position if you get into a team scenario then you're dealing with lots of different personalities all vying for their particular position and that can make it a lot harder really for the i think the relationship of equality to happen in some ways because then you might have the one singular anthropologist as we tend to be Mm -hmm. and three or four designers and you're sort of almost you know maintaining that in some ways could be quite difficult but designers can appreciate the input and the collaboration anthropologists bring to the team and so recognize that the process is more of the the final dar, because a lot of the designers that I meet really, really engage and appreciate anthropology. Mm. And if anything, we've got a lot of designers crossing over into anthropology. Right. I don't know of a lot of anthropologists who've become designers, but I know of a lot of designers who've become more anthropological.
1: Yeah, I think anthropologists, us anthropologists, becoming designers would be a, probably a not good route to go down. I can imagine uh, the weirdness, abstraction of design, the, yeah. the solutions we would try to come up with. But but there is something It is great though if you think about it, the design world mm. embracing the notion of multidisciplinary thinking, collaboration. Mm. As you know, design traditionally being around solution, mm. but the anthropology as part of that, really is all about that human. Yeah. About culture, about people. That's fascinating. I I want to now kind of move on to the second part because something has really struck me about the work that you do and one of your big projects on public toilets. Why? (laughs) Well. I could say a whole line of puns here that I'm sure everyone has done, but I'm not. So tell me why public toilets.
0: Why public toilets? Well, I did my undergraduate thesis on public baths. And so I had an interest in the ritual of cleansing. And it was also an interest in women's use of space. And women's use of space for intimate activity, especially in public.
1: You're going to have to run with this one.
0: Yeah. So I had an interest in that. I developed that as an undergraduate. And then by chance, a position came up as a research fellow at University College London, looking at the inclusive design of city centres focusing on public toilets. So I applied. I'd had a background of working with people with disabilities as well as having engaged with theoretical aspects in anthropology of rituals. The, The call, the actual job application was either looking for an architect or an anthropologist. So they had already thought of actually we might need an anthropologist on this project rather than an architect even though it was about urban design and um, I applied and I got the position and so this introduced me to the world of design whereas previously I was more medically aligned and it all kind of started from there I decided after a year it was a three-year project I decided after a year that yes I would like to follow this up a PhD because we had so much data. Once we put a call for participants to collaborate with us in the research, I went away for a weekend and I'd had difficulty recruiting people. And then I came up with an idea for a newsletter about the research, which I called, strangely enough, the toilet paper. And I put it out there (laughs) And came back and and just had an influx of people who wanted to engage with the research, who wanted to tell me about their experiences of leaving home, finding and accessing and using toilet facilities. And it just ran from there.
1: I saw you give a talk, I think it's on YouTube. We'll put a link and also a link to all the books you've referenced as well. But... You give a talk, I think it's 2017, about some of the main things around the project, around public toilets that you were doing. And there were a lot of things that really stood out about the actual product design to the wider system and the cultural kind of landscape. Mm -hmm. So so can you talk us through some of the interesting kind of findings?
0: Well, one of the interesting things for me about the public toilet is it's like the Petri dish of an environment. And in design, it's got everything there. So we have product design we have with things like the flush handle the toilet paper dispenser the tap the sink the wc pan all of that they, these are all products and they sit within an environment it has to be of a certain size it has to be laid out a certain way it has to be placed in a building in a certain position based on either access or not only access for the user but access to the pipework, the plumbing etc and then we've got service design in there because the place has to be managed. Bins have to be emptied. Toilet rolls have to be changed. And if you have one aspect of these designs that fails, the whole environment can fail, especially for people with disabilities. Okay. So it's really important that you, you get this trilogy of design right because if you get one bit wrong, it can fail as an environment. So I find that, Absolutely fascinating from a design perspective. It's at the micro, meso, and macro level, again, in some ways, of design interaction of people. One of my recent areas that is one of the hot topics of toilets right now is gender-neutral provision. And that's becoming quite political in many ways.
1: In which way? Can Can you tell us?
0: In which ways? Well, there's many women who don't feel comfortable sharing provision with men Mm -hmm. and they've been very vocal about that but there's also many men who don't feel comfortable about sharing provision with women but they don't seem to be quite so vocal about it we think as long as me and my research partner we believe that as long as it might lead to more toilets which is a really important thing for the city and it might be a positive thing but what's important is for the people who provide toilets to realise it's not a matter of changing the signs on the doors. You can't have a row of cubicles, toilets with urinals in them and suddenly say they're gender neutral because mm-hmm. a bunch of women will not use toilets with urinals in. And you can't just change what was previously the women's toilets with a bunch of cubicles in and say it's gender neutral because men will prefer to use those toilets because we all want to toilet in privacy. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got the queue scenario even larger than it previously was so it's about redesigning thinking about how we might redesign the provision
1: so this is the whole ecosystem again, again as, as, yes. from product to service design yes and you, you picked up then i think you, you talked about it in your talk as well online, um, about that kind of stereotype of women queuing and that they're having, I think you said they're having a natter or it's a kind of narrative of sexism there. But actually, that's not the case. No. And tell us, you know, why do we have this stereotype of the queue?
0: Well, that works from how buildings are designed from an equal perspective. When the toilet is put in place, the position of the toilets are given a space in in the design and then they're broken up 50-50. So, you know, male provision gets 50% of the space and the women's provision gets another 50% of the space. So in the male provision, they'll put three cubicles and in the women's provision, they'll put three cubicles. But in the male's provision, they'll put maybe put three urinals as well. And so all of a sudden, you've got double the provision for men than you have for women. Right. And so we take twice as long to use the toilet because we have to get through those cultural things such as clothes to actually urinate and or defecate. And you know, we have half the provision and we take twice as long. So hence we have cues. Gender
1: is a big thing that comes out of this yeah. piece of work as well. And you you show some really cool, innovative ways of having kind of pop-up urinals mm-hmm. on the street the Friday night, the guys, are all getting pissed and they need the toilet. Yeah. And some of them are really innovative and you've got examples of that. They look really good as well, mm. you know, and, but there's nothing for women.
0: No, and the problem with that is that they're considered innovative because they pop up, they come up out of the ground. Right. So they come up at night and they go down at dusk. So they're not an eye during the day. The problem with these things is that there's one problem is that they're only really tailored for certain men. Men who have disabilities can't use them, especially men who, who are wheelchair users. They can't use them. Older men won't use them because they feel vulnerable mm-hmm. appearing in public. Men who have faith considerations and considerations of pollution won't use them. So really, it's for a very small minority of people who are able to use this. And, and as you mentioned, most of them are drunk. Yeah, piss so heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, women can't use them at all. But they're not... They're considered innovative, but they're not really, because in the Victorian era, when we first had public toilets, the first toilets that appeared on our streets were urinals and were male only. And what that did in the Victorian era was sort of embed the knowledge, embed symbolically the city was the space of men. The city was male space. I see. The domestic was the female space. And so this return to these pop-up urinals again once again sort of represents the city as space for men it excludes it actively excludes women not only are, are men allowed to be out in the nighttime, they are allowed to pee in public in the nighttime. meanwhile women we shouldn't be out in the night so
1: that's where i'm gonna that's really interesting so that hits on the anthropology around the kind of gendered yeah. space of public space private public and that's so the concept. It's almost like an unconscious bias. We yeah. design the city for men. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a really powerful, powerful image. And also, then you spoke about the actual the going down to the product of the flusher. Yeah. And that's also gendered. Yes. Can tell us about it.
0: Well, we don't know. I mean, this is one of those things that you, you know, in my field, you're just like, "Crikey, please give me some money to do some research on this. It would be fabulous." But in Especially in the accessible toilet, the flush has been designated in the building regulations in the british standards it 's been designated to put on a certain side of the cistern, and that side is actually on the left hand side if it 's a right hand what 's known as a right hand transfer toilet where the transfer space is the big space where a wheelchair user which will use to transfer onto the wC pan and the reasons it 's supposed to be on the transfer space side is so that if the person has limited mobility and can't turn around, they can transfer back into their wheelchair, reach up and flush the toilet after use. Now, if the flush is on the opposite side, say on the wall side, that person might not be able to reach up and flush the toilet. And I did have users tell me how mortified they were having used the toilet, they couldn't flush after use and they would have to go to customer services and say, I've left the toilet in a terrible state, I'm embarrassed. I mean, that's a a pretty awful thing to feel and to have to do. And so we were wondering in the research, well, why is this? And we were actually told by plumbers on British Standards Committees, it was because plumbers, who are mostly male, mostly men, when they are putting in a toilet, they automatically put it on the right-hand side or the wrong side because of they're mostly right-handed. I see, yeah. And so it's an automatic reaction of not thinking, you know... They might even see the documents and actually think, oh, that's on the wrong side, because they actually don't know why... That should be on the opposite side to where it might normally be. Wow. So it's based on the occupation of the people who are installing the toilets, their gender, and their sort of tacit knowledge of like when I flush, I flush with this hand.
1: I think you're really conveying here the power of the kind of anthropological way of thinking mm. within the design process. We're coming to the end, but what I'd like to quickly ask you is, where has this gone? Where has this project on public toilets gone? Is it now just finished on the archives as a PhD or?
0: No, no, no. Well, what we did is, because we design an anthropology, is we designed a product, which is the Great British Public Toilet Map. We collected all the data on all the toilets in the UK. We hold the largest data of publicly accessible toilets, so those are in the, both the public and the private sector. And um, we turned that into the Great British Public Toilet Map, which is accessible on the web. And from that, we developed a business, a spin out, a good university spin out called public convenience which can be found at publicconvenience.org. and we act as a consultancy for anybody who has a toilet design or would like to know more about their toilets and how they might improve their provision we can come and help you make decisions about this
1: so listen joanne thank you so much for being on the podcast we're going to put all the links on the website And we're also going to um, put your website for the consultancy as well. Fantastic. It's been absolutely fascinating talking.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Ethnopod. And if you want to learn more about other shows on This Is HCD Network, then feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered designers around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.